I'd like to invite you to turn with me in God's Word this evening to Galatians chapter 4. We'll be considering Paul's teaching from Galatians 4 verses 1 through 7 and then the Heidelberg Catechism's instruction in Lord's Day 13. First, we'll give our attention to God's Word from Galatians chapter 4. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. Through God. We will end the reading of God's Word there. And now we'll turn to Lord's Day 13 in the Heidelberg Catechism, which can be found on page 214 of the Forms and Prayers. Lord's Day 13. Beginning in question 33 Why is he called God's only begotten Son when we are also called God's children? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. We, however, are adopted children of God, adopted by grace for the sake of Christ. Why do you call Him our Lord? Because not with gold or silver, but with His precious blood, He has delivered and purchased us, body and soul, from sin and from the tyranny of the devil to be His very own. My most dear friends, I can still remember after years of training and classes and visits and overnights the day when my parents, my brothers and I went to the courthouse and officially adopted my little sister. It was a joyous occasion. In many ways, it was like a birth, just without all the screaming and the tears. And we went to our home, we had a party, and we officially welcomed my sister into the family. From that moment on, she was as much a part of the family as I was. She received all of its privileges but also all of its obligations. Earthly adoption is a beautiful picture of the Gospel. My sister received on that day not just a warm bed and food on the table, but a father who loved her. A mother who cared for her. Brothers who rejoiced in her and welcomed her. And she also received an inheritance. J.I. Packer, when considering the question, what is a Christian, has an interesting answer to this. He says a Christian is one who has God as their father. 
Christian is one who has God as their father. That is, if we want to be part of the family of God, if we want the Father to be our own, the church to be our mother, to be welcomed by the saints and have the inheritance of eternal life, we need a heavenly adoption. So the Catechism, after having explained that first part of the Apostles' Creed teaching on Jesus Christ, where it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, now turns to those last two titles. That He is only begotten. And He is our Lord. But question 33 raises an important question, doesn't it? Why is He called God's only begotten Son when we are also God's children? You could think of the question in this sense, how did we become part of God's family? And I love how the Catechism comforts us here. We are the adopted children of God. And that's, I want to show you our theme for our time together this evening is that heavenly adoption speaks to the believer's privileged place in God's family. Our heavenly adoption speaks to the believer's privileged place in God's family. I want to show you this in three points this evening. The preparation for adoption the purchase of adoption, and the pledge of adoption. That's the preparation, the purchase, and pledge of adoption. And I must admit that I took this outline from a commentary by Joseph Pippa. But we want to see the preparation, the purchase, and pledge of adoption. The Apostle Paul, throughout his missionary journeys, on all three of his missionary journeys, stopped in Galatia. Luke records the establishment of these churches in Acts 13 through 14, where we're told in Acts 13, verse 44, that whole cities of Gentiles were coming to the synagogue to hear the Apostle Paul and Barnabas preach the gospel message. And as the Jews, or excuse me, as the Gentiles were coming to hear this preaching, this evangelism explosion, it says the Jews were very jealous and chased them out of all three cities. They were chased out of Antioch in 13 verse 44, Acts 13 verse 44. They were chased out of Iconium 14:4. They were chased out of Lystra. 1419, and that was the city where the Jews even tried to stone Paul. And they drug him out of the city, presuming him for dead. Yet, Paul says, when he gets up and he walks away, he says at the end of chapter 14, God blessed the work in Galatia. That even despite all that hardship, he declared all that God had done with them and how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. But even just a passing glance at the book of Galatians shows us that after Paul and Barnabas left the church in Galatia, that problems quickly emerged. New teachings began to be taught in those churches, mingling certain aspects of the Jewish religion with the Christian Gospel. Practices that were abolished in Christ 
like circumcision, like the necessity of observing the feast days and the Sabbaths and the dietary laws were being forced upon the Gentiles. And so Galatians is the Apostle Paul's writing to a church that he knows very well. And he tells them that this new Gospel that's being taught is actually no Gospel at all. We call these false teachers Judaizers because they sought to make Jews out of Christians. They professed to believe in Christ, but, that they, but they taught that in order to receive Christ, one first needed to be a Jew. In other words, to be a Christian meant that you had to have the prerequisite of being, at least in some ways, Jewish. Congregation, are there any prerequisites to the Gospel? Are there any prerequisites to those who are afflicted in conscience by the Holy Spirit that they have sinned and then they look to Christ? Is there anything that they must do in order to receive Him? Paul says we are justified in Galatians by faith alone. Saved by faith alone. There are no prerequisites. No matter your social status, no matter your ethnicity or your gender, those who look to Christ by faith are sons of Abraham. He says. And to go back to the Jewish law, to go back to the things that pointed us to Christ, if you will, is to go back to the orphanage. Is to prefer being an heir rather than receiving the inheritance. He gives you two examples in those first three verses of Galatians. The first example he gives is of a Roman heir. Let's turn to Galatians 4 and look at those first two verses. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. The Galatians would have been familiar with the idea of a will. A legal declaration of a person's wishes about their property even after they had died which is what we call an inheritance, receiving a gift from past generations. And so the Apostle Paul uses an example we could all imagine even today. The example of being a son of a wealthy Roman business or estate. And by all measures, this son is going to inherit the family business. He's going to inherit his family wealth the property, the employees, everything that the Father has will be given to the Son. It's a privileged place to be an heir, right? So how do we make sense of the words the heir as long as he is a child is no different from a slave? He is reminding us 
that the children, even of a wealthy family, while they are in their minority, before they receive the inheritance, don't enjoy the privileges of an inheritance. Think about it this way. Some of you fathers may have started businesses. When I was a young kid, my dad had a cabinet shop called London and Sons. We didn't work for him, so I don't know why it was called and Sons. But I guess the intention was that he would one day like to see us take over the family business. Think of yourselves in a, in a similar situation. And while your son is in training to receive this business, does he get to make the decisions? Does he get to spend the money as he sees fit without regard to you? As if it was his already? Well, the answer, of course, is no. They would just be as offensive as the prodigal son in Luke 13 saying, give me my inheritance before his father has even passed away. Here is the point. You may be a son... The estate may be by all intents and purposes yours. All you have to do is wait until it's given to you, but until then, you don't enjoy its benefits. Whether you only inherit a little, whether you inherit a whole business, or an empire, all sons, Paul say, are under guardians and managers. In fact, it's even like you're a slave, he says. You're no different from the common worker or hired hand until you receive the inheritance. That's the first example. The second example is that of the Old Testament Jews. He says in verse 3, in the same way, look, he's no longer talking about someone else, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of of this world. When he says we, he's referring to the Jews. That the Jews of old under the Mosaic Covenant were children in the sense that they hadn't yet received the inheritance. But that the circumcision, that the dietary laws, the Sabbaths and the feast days pointed them to the inheritance they would have. But they were not the inheritance themselves. Matthew Henry says about verse 3, the church of the Old Testament is like a child under age. And those, the strange term, elementary principles of this world, seems to be admittedly an odd reference to the Mosaic ceremonies which you'll remember from last week, we said were designed only to be temporary. To appoint them, excuse me, to point the Old Testament people to the inheritance in Christ. What Paul is saying with these two examples is that to go back to the Old Testament, to go back to circumcision, the dietary laws, is to prefer being an heir is to prefer being a child over a mature individual who has received the inheritance. 
You see, our catechism is very clear in question 33 that we are not the natural children of God. We are not biologically the sons of God. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 2, by nature we're children of wrath. What the Judaizers are suggesting is that these Old Test- or these New Testament Christians should disinherit themselves from the promise. To go back to being a child of wrath. To go back to the preparation period where they were being prepared to receive the inheritance but not yet having it in their possession. Here's a word of application for you, my dear friends. When I was a little boy at Knox Christian School in Bowmanville, Ontario, we sang this song. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. The Judaizers' sin here was saying that God wants only certain types of people in His church. And they enforced God's law upon the people of the New Testament. But let us be reminded that there is no prerequisites to the Gospel. There is no prescribed way that you and I need to look. No external posture that we must have. God wants people of all stripes in His church. Let's apply it to our context. God wants the guy with a Harley Davidson t-shirt on in our church. Or the girl with purple hair in our church. You don't need to put on a collared shirt. You don't need to have blonde hair to be in our church. Every single person is being held out the Gospel in the Apostle Paul's ministry. And who responded? It wasn't the people who were being prepared for adoption. It was the Gentiles. The people no one thought God would ever have mercy on. The people thought no one thought would ever respond to the Lord, to Yahweh, responded in true faith. Let us not fall into the folly of the Judaizers that only certain people are allowed to hear the Gospel. Secondly, we should notice the purchase of adoption this evening. As I mentioned, we're not sons or daughters and daughters of God by nature, but the Catechism says that Christ alone, question 33, is the only, excuse me, the eternal natural Son of God. Of God. We can only become part of the family of God if He comes to the orphanage, if you will, and by His gracious choice adopts us into the family. But our adoption comes not with money, gold, or silver, question 34 mentions, but with His precious blood. Paul speaks about this idea in verses 4-5. through He speaks about the cost of adoption. 
See, when we, come, when we consider the subject of adoption, there are many negative connotations that go through our minds. Adoptions are frequently necessitated by abandonment, poverty, illness, drug abuse, and other things like that. And one of the most challenging things for those who adopt and are adopted is dealing with the reality of the past. But you need to deal with the reality of the past. It's part of who you are. It's the reality of your upbringing. This is why you need to reckon with the past, even the negatives that come with adoption, because every unwanted, abandoned, or broken child who is adopted, there is an adoptive set of parents who see them at their weakest, who see them at their most vulnerable, and specifically chose them in love. They chose them regardless of the cost. And even though there are great challenges involved. And so it is with God. That He looked upon the fallen and the ruined state of man. He sees our darkness, the darkest of our sins in the most humiliating of states and He chose them disregarding the cost. Regardless of what it took. And what was the cost? Verse 4. His Son. This is the exceeding love of God towards sinners. Judge this evening. If you would give your son or your daughter in exchange for the orphan. God counted the cost of having you at His dinner table, of having you in His family, having Christ, giving Christ inheritance to you, and Christ came, Paul says, in the fullness of time. That's referring to the appointed time of God. He sent forth His Son, born of a woman. He took on our human nature, was born under the law, subjected Himself to the law of God, and shed His precious blood that you would have the inheritance of sonship. What has Christ purchased? We see the cost is His blood. But the purchase, verse 5, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, the Galatians would have been familiar with the idea of adoption. In Roman times, adoption was a way of securing an heir for your inheritance after you died. One commentator notes that in these ancient days, often adolescents or even adults were adopted to be heirs of someone's inheritance. And it was imperative that the inheritance would be secure. That the business, that the property, that the employees would be given to someone who can take care of the inheritance. Which brings us to a noteworthy difference between being a biological or an adopted son. You see, even if you're a biological son, 
There's no guarantee that you'll get the family business, right? Remember I told you about London and Sons? It doesn't exist anymore. There was no guarantee that I would grow up to be a cabinet maker like my dad. The business can go under. You could be disinherited. You could be written out of the will. There's no guarantee for the biological son. But Joseph Pippa notes this, while a natural-born heir in the Roman culture could be disinherited, and often was disinherited, Roman law required that an adopted heir could not be disinherited. According to the Romans, in their view of adoption, there was also a legal guarantee that the adopted heir would receive the inheritance promised. So when the Apostle Paul says in verse 5 that Christ came so that we could receive adoption as sons, he does not speak of something that is conditional or something that can be lost, but of something that is guaranteed. That if you are an adopted child of God, you have received an inheritance that cannot be annulled, that cannot be taken from you, that is legally yours. You might ask, well, what's included in this adoption? The Puritan Richard Sibbs says this, all things are ours by virtue of our adoption. What's included in being adopted as the Son of God? All things. All things. From being a child of the devil to becoming a child of God. From being a child of wrath to the object of God's favor from a child of condemnation to becoming an heir of all the promises, a possessor of all blessings, to being exalted from the greatest misery to the highest felicity, it it exceeds all of our comprehension and all of our adoration. So much so that Martin Luther said, if we knew the privilege of being adopted in Christ, we would consider the kingdoms of this world as dung. Everything is ours in Christ. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3 this evening. Where he tells you what's given, and the Apostle John wants you to see what is yours by virtue of adoption. 1 John 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are not God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. 
because we shall see him as he is. The Father adopts us because he loves us. Not as second class citizens, not as adopted runts of the family, but adopted into Christ and all of the privileges that Christ has, we now have in Him. Over and over again, the Bible tells us how much God the Father delights in His Son. Remember a few weeks ago, we looked at the baptism of Christ. And what did the voice from heaven say of Jesus? This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. God, over and over again, of His Son, talks about His delight in Him. My friends, you need to know this. God delights in you. Just like a father or a mother delights in their children, God delights in you. Not because of your perfection. Not because of how holy you are. But delights in you as His child. As much as He delights in Christ. Because we are in Him. He delights in us. What a wonderful thing to contemplate this evening. That we are the sons of God. Turning back to Galatians then, we see not only has Christ paid the cost and purchased for us adoption as sons and all that is in Him is now ours, but we see that God gives us a pledge of our adoption. I've had the privilege in my life of working with many people who have been adopted. It's a wonderful thing that Christians see their adoption in the Lord and then seek to live it out in this world. But if I can be honest this evening, time and time again, I have seen people who have been adopted struggle to believe that they are loved. As often as they have been told by their parents, adopted parents, their spouses, their church, their friends, I love you, I love you, I love you, it's hard for them to believe it's true. Speaking honestly, It was a wonderful thing to adopt my little sister. But she struggled with this. She struggled with the abandonment in her younger years to believe that she was lovable. No matter how much we told her. But God gives you a pledge. As His adopted children. He proves it to you. Look at this Trinitarian pledge in Galatians chapter 4. He says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
That in Jesus Christ, we have become sons adopted by grace for the sake of Christ. This is the difference between a heavenly Father and an earthly Father. He can actually change us. And as parents, natural parents, we need to be reminded to be often on our knees in prayer. God alone can change the heart and the inner dispositions of man. He takes us from children of wrath to children of a son. And ladies, don't be offended when the Apostle Paul calls you a son. What he intimates by this is that you've been given the highest privilege, the greatest place in the family. And the Spirit is given as a pledge. When you want to buy a house, you give a down payment. When you want to marry a girl, you give her a ring. But when God adopted you, He gave you His Spirit. And the Holy Spirit bears witness in our hearts that you are the adopted children of God. He comes to us crying out, Abba, Father. And the word crying, it means He comes boldly. He comes with certainty. He comes with unwavering confidence that for those who Christ has died for, they are children of God. And so He makes our hearts to sing, Abba, Father. What does He come with? He comes with God's personal name. Father. Remember at the beginning of our time together, we asked the question, or J.I. Packer's question, what does it mean to be a Christian? And he said, a Christian is one who has God as their Father. This is the supernatural gift that our Lord brings. We now have a Father. That New Testament believers have a place in the family of God. A seat at the table, if you will. The Spirit seals unto us that we are just as privileged as Christ in the family of God. And so, the Apostle Paul says, if you have been sealed with the Spirit, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Christ died that you would receive His inheritance. And the prerequisite for spiritual adoption is only that you would come to Him by faith. Purchased by His blood. Sealed by His Spirit. By faith, you have a seat at God's table. And He delights to call you my son. My son. What a wonderful truth to be able to consider that our Lord gave His blood that we might be the adopted children of God. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful Father, we have seen that earthly adoption is a beautiful picture of the adoption that we have 
in Christ. And that even though we have been born as natural children of wrath, you have been pleased to adopt us in Christ and sealed by your Spirit to be your children. And that we now have the inheritance of eternal life in Christ. Help us not to be tempted to think that there is greater things in the world than this. That you are our Father by the work of our elder brother. We give you thanks for this in Christ's name. Amen.